This is Anthony Anarino, and you're listening to In the Arena. This episode of In the Arena was sponsored by Sales Gravy University. You know I'm good friends with Jeb Blunt, and you know he does great work, and you know he wrote Fanatical Prospecting, but you may not know that he created Sales Gravy University. And what is Sales Gravy University, you ask? And it's a great question. Sales Gravy University is sales training in your pocket. What you're going to get is an innovative training app that's going to help you accelerate your sales performance and improve your income, and it's in your pocket. It's on your phone, whether that's an iPhone or an Android phone. You can go out to the iTunes store and download the app, or you can go to the Play Store and download the app there. Here's what you're going to get. You're going to get the platform when you sign up, and you're going to be able to buy what you want. There's going to be in-app purchases there for you. You can purchase some courses for 99 cents, and that might be a short video, a tutorial, or an audio program. You're also going to find something that costs more. I think I have a program on there for $9.99, and it's how to plan a sales call. It's four modules. It's probably close to 25 minutes long, and it's content to help you set up success when you're going to do the most important thing that salespeople do, and that's go sit down face-to-face with a client or a prospect. Here's what I love about this platform, and this is where I think Jeb's genius comes in. This is spot training. So you're in your car, you've got a problem, you're going to go out, you're going to watch a video, you're going to read a tutorial, or you're going to listen to an audio track, and you're going to come up with the ideas that you need to succeed when you're sitting down with that customer. Or maybe this is part of your personal development and your growth, and you're going to listen to one module every week, and you're going to work on that module, and then the next week you're going to pick up something else and grow from there. Go check out Sales Gravy University. You can Google it, and you'll come up with the iTunes preview as the second link. You'll also find the link in the show notes or go out to the Play Store and search for Sales Gravy. I promise there's nothing else in the world called Sales Gravy and only a Southerner like Jeb Blunt who rides horses and eats steak and probably drinks whiskey is going to call something Sales Gravy because to a Southerner, nothing is real unless you can put gravy on it. Go check it out. When you get there, tell Jeb that I sent you and do check out the sales call planning module there. I think you'll love it and I think that you're going to find it super helpful when you go in to make a sales call. A little over one week ago, I received an email from my friend Dave Brock from Partners in Excellence and the note read, I just wrote a book called Sales Manager Survival Guide. And I thought to myself, how is this even possible that Dave wrote a book? He's the busiest man on earth. If I call him, he's usually in Japan or France or Brazil. It's almost impossible to get him on the phone. He works harder than most people, and he's just one of the brightest people I know. But he's never written a book, and it was not part of his goals. And I know this because we've been close friends for something like six years. And he's never had time to write a book, even though he is deep in sales wisdom. I mean, one of the brightest guys you will ever meet. And in fact, 
So bright, when I have a sales management challenge, the first call I make is to Dave, and it's the only call I need to make because whatever the complicated management issue is, he's got some insight and some idea that allows me to break through whatever the block is and to go ahead and take action. So he's super smart and a great friend. So he wrote this book called The Sales Manager Survival Guide, and I read the book. It took me a long time to read the book because it's a big book, and It is brilliant, and I want to tell you two things about the book that show up in this interview with Dave. The first is, if you're a new sales manager, this is going to keep you from hurting yourself and hurting the people that work for you and hurting your company. It's going to prevent you from making all of the mistakes that sales managers make when they're brand new. More still, if you're an experienced sales manager, like a lot of you listening to this podcast are, This is going to be the reset button for you. The struggles that you're having, the challenges that you're having getting results, those difficult coaching issues that you have with some of the individuals on your team and leading your higher-ups, the questions that you have and the obstacles that you have are answered in this book, Sales Manager Survival Guide. I'm, uh, I'm big, big on this book right now. It's perfect. And it's perfectly timed and it's written by exactly the right person as, I understand, a set of three books. So this is my friend, Dave Brock, who secretly wrote a book without telling me, In the Arena. Good morning, Dave. How are you? Great, Anthony. Thanks for inviting me. It's really a privilege to be on this. Oh, it's it's great to get more time with you. You and I are both so busy and whenever... I'll just disclose this to the people that listen to the podcast. When I have a sales challenge or a management challenge, you're the first number I dial because, in in my opinion, you you have the deepest insight and can get to the root cause faster than anybody. So I, I always appreciate the, having the relationship to be able to call you. Well, it's you know we always have great conversations. It's I think it's probably just because of my silver hair, not anything else. <laughs> but at least I have hair, so uh. <laughs> you got that going for you. so let's start with how surprised i was to get an email that says i just wrote this book sales manager survival guide lessons from the sales front lines and you're the busy people say anthony how do you do all this you're so busy but then i look at you and the hardest part about ever having a conversation with you is that you're somewhere else in the world like brazil or Japan, or France, so I can't get you because you're overseas or your time zone doesn't work. You're the busiest person. You're always traveling, and there was never time for you to write a book. How did this book get done? Well, it started actually almost a year ago, and what I was doing is I was trying to write an ebook. You know, I thought I'd write a nice 25, 30-page ebook. I was updating the ebook actually that you and I kind of co-authored a number of years ago on, on coaching. And so I sat down one Saturday morning and, you know, wrote for about three hours. The next Sunday morning, I started writing and so on. And over the weekends, I, I started writing. And after about three weeks, I discovered I had 30,000 words and I wasn't <laughs> finished with what I wanted to say. And I said, oh, my God, this is a book. It's a and book. Lit- book. Yeah. And so literally what happened is it just kind of consumed me is I'd sit down every Saturday and every Sunday for about three hours. You know, during the week, things would be going around in my head about what I wanted to talk about. And I'd write and I write and I write. 
And so that's kind of how it came about. And it, it actually happened in a very short period of time. I think what happened is I've had you and a lot of other colleagues encouraging me for years to write a book, but I just didn't have, I couldn't find the book that was in me. And then all of a sudden writing this, I, I literally found not only one book, but a series of books that are in me. And it, it just was such a joy to write because, you know, as you sit down and try and express this and get it so other people can understand it, you have to really challenge your thinking. And you start to recognize, I think as I was writing mine, you start to recognize all the things that you know that you don't know you know. They come out of you all the time, but you never think about, oh, I know this, or I know this, and I know this. But when you start writing it down, you're like, I know a lot of things that I want to share. Yeah, and it was interesting. After I finished it and was well into kind of the final edit process, you know, to kind of build my confidence, because I'd only had people see bits and pieces of it. I sent it to our friend Charlie Green, and Charlie came back with great advice, but he said, you know, Dave, you know, your depth of experience is really important, and you need to let people understand that. And so I just said, well, what does that mean? And I, I sat down and figured out over about kind of 30 plus years in, in selling and, and consulting and things like that. I started when I was five years old. Um, <laughs> But I realized, you know, I started counting them up and I said, gee, I've done over 30,000 deal and call reviews. I've done something like 9,000 pipeline reviews. I've hired, been involved in hiring and firing, you know, hundreds of people, salespeople and managers and interviewing thousands more. And then all of a sudden you kind of look at the weight of that experience, both things I did right and things I really screwed up was really what kind of brought me to that point. Let's get into the book. I want to give people mm -hmm. value, and I want to point them to, um, and at the end, we'll put this in the show note, I want to point them to salesmanagersurvivalguide.com so they can go out and get some of the resources that are available there. But more than that, I want to, uh, I want to have a conversation about why this book is important if you are a frontline sales manager. And I want to start by just acknowledging, from my view the job of the frontline sales manager is the most difficult role in business. I think it, from an execution point, it's very, very difficult to do. I think it's difficult to assemble a team. I think we have a difficult outcomes to get. And I think the, and we're going to talk about this later, but the strategy of the business depends on can you execute at this level? Why is sales management such a difficult role to succeed in that you had to name a book Survival Guide? And we'll talk about not surviving that. But what makes it so unique and difficult in your view? Well, I, I think one is, is as a sales manager, you're caught between a rock and a hard place. You know, your job is to maximize the performance of each person on your team. And to really, you know, find out what you do to get them to perform at the top levels so that they make their numbers and consequently you make your numbers. So you're really the great sales managers, sales leaders are just really focused on what can they do for the team? You know, whether it's coaching, whether it's getting them tools, systems, processes, whether it's training, whatever it is, they're focused on doing that. But sitting above them is their manager and their manager's manager. And what happens is you get caught between this rock and a hard place or paradox of, you know, what the business is expecting you to do and produce 
and what your salespeople need. And sometimes there's some, you know, some real contradictions in that. So the challenge is, you know, how does the sales manager resolve those contradictions and continue to to support the needs of the business and drive the performance of the team? Let me let me frame that up because it's a really interesting point that you're talking about. The sales manager has to serve the business. There's no question about that. That's what they were hired to do is to serve the business. Right. And the business makes enormous demands on them. I, I had one company that I worked with where the sales managers were literally forecasting daily. In a long sales cycle business, they were forecasting daily because there was this, I, you've got to give us the numbers. You've got to tell us what's going on. we got to have this. And at the same time, there's no coaching going on with their people. So we'll talk about that. But it's really, they're being torn in both directions, right? You have to serve the business. And then your real goal, you have to serve your people. And you have limited time and energy to do that. And so the meetings that the business needs, they still need and, and what your team needs. Is that the root of what makes it difficult for you? I mean, at the beginning? I think it is. I mean, if you look at somebody that's put into the sales manager's job, what happens is first, everybody congratulates them and say, congratulations, you know, for either coming to this company and taking a role as a sales manager, congratulations for being promoted from a salesperson to a sales manager. And the immediate next sentence from everybody you talk to is, what have you done for me lately? And so, you know, the sale, your manager and the, and the business executives in the business mean, what have you done for me lately in a different context than your people who are saying the same thing? What have you done for me lately? You know, and so it's resolving those contradictions and saying you have to satisfy both of them. And that's a challenge in and of itself. Yeah. Let's talk about a new manager who comes into this role. And I think even if you're a manager with experience, even if you were to think about what the reset would be for you, because as I was looking through your book, and I haven't read the whole thing yet, because honestly, it's 343 pages. So that's one heck of an ebook that you wrote as a PDF. <laughs> that's a long ebook. But there is, I think, a chance for people to say, if I'm coming into this role, I'm going to get a great start. But also, if I need to reset, I'm, I might need to go back through the early parts of the book. And I, I want you to describe, if you can, for people, what are the challenges out of the gate? If we think about 30, 60, 90 days, I'm brand new in this role. What are the things that either set you up for success or that get you entrenched in things that are actually going to prevent you from succeeding when you're early in your role as a sales manager? Yeah, I think, you know, there are a couple of challenges. A lot of times we enter into the role, even as, as people who've managed before, and we aren't really told what the job is. So, you know, so a lot of times we have to figure that out. And that's part of what the book helps you do. But as we look at the first 90 days, the first thing is that all of us, particularly salespeople, we're action oriented. We want to do something, whether it's going out to get the order, going out to find new customers, those kinds of things. So we come into the job with this action orientation that we have to do something. And so, you know, the mistake a lot of managers make is they come in and they want to fix something, they want to change something, they want to do something. And that's the worst possible thing they can do because what do you do? How do you figure out, you know, if something needs fixing, how do you figure out what the most important thing for you to do is? So the biggest challenge we have within ourselves is that action orientation. And, and I say in the book, do nothing. 
And by that, I mean, don't do nothing, but don't be driven to make your imprint on the team or the business. Spend time, you know, and I'd say in your first 30 days, go visit and talk to 30 customers, prospects, or people who aren't doing business with you. Find out what they're looking for, find out what they think of your salespeople, so on and so forth. You know, in that 30 days, make sure you go out and visit another 30 customers with your salespeople. You know, get out, ride with them. If you have an inside sales team or an SDR sales team, listen in on some of the calls, talk to them, you know, find out how they work, how they engage. Talk to them about who they are as human beings. Start learning what their strengths and weaknesses are and things like that. And then the the next thing is you say, my job is to get things done through my people and for my people. So now you got to start understanding the business. So in addition to that outward customer focus and outward team focus, you got to start going into the business and say, how do we get things done in our company? Who do we work with? What are both the formal processes, the informal processes? What's my manager's expectations? What's my manager's manager's expectations? You know, let me get to know the folks in marketing and how they can help me and my team. Let me know the folks in sales operations, sales enablement. So in your first 30 days, you're intensely going out and learning, learning, learning. You know, now as you start moving into the 60 to 90 days, you're starting to say, how do I translate that into action? You know, and the first focus needs to be with your people, you know, starting to say, where can I help you get better? Where can I help you perform at the top level that you can possibly perform so that if each person on my team performs, you know, we meet our goals? You know, you sound like a lunatic when you say these things because- If I'm the new sales manager, I've never had a manager who did that. I never had a manager that took that time to go meet the customers or to go on calls with me. And so I think the manager, and and I'm generalizing, but they mostly come in and they do what their manager did, the only model that they had, right? And so so you're, you're really, I mean, this is a big change from what somebody would normally do. They would say, this manager left, I now have their role, so I do what they do. And you're saying, no, don't do what they did. First, stop and take a look around and figure out what your role needs to be now to serve the business and to serve your people, rather than just jumping in and repeating. And maybe I'm going to say this another way, but be the manager that you would have needed if you would have had that kind of manager. And you get a chance to to do that in that first 30, 60, 90. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so much of the time, even as individual contributors and salespeople, we have this, since we're so action-oriented, we have this ready, fire, aim, fix kind of mentality. And because we're good, we're smart, we can always fix whatever problem we create. And all, but you know, it makes much more sense if you're really looking at driving performance and effectiveness to sit back and think a little bit and to analyze and say, what is it that needs fixing? And maybe things don't need fixing. Maybe you just need to ratchet it up a level. Maybe you're replacing a manager who's done an outstanding job and you don't want to screw that up. You want to build on that. You know, so this thing about do nothing is really important concept because if you do nothing in the sense of taking action and changing things, then you figure out what's the most important thing for you to do and how do you change? 
that's the first side. And I think that's an important point. And I think that if you stop and you decide what you need to do first, you're going to make better decisions because you've given yourself mm-hmm. time to look around and gather information and gather insights. What are the things that are going to hamstring you those first 90 days? What are the things that are going to cause you to fail as a sales manager? And I think in your experience, you've seen dozens, if not hundreds of sales managers fail because of the way that they got started. What are the things that are going to really cause you problems? Yeah, I I think part of it is the need that we have to take action, the need that we have to get into the rush of everyday business. You know, the world doesn't stop just because I've been named a new manager and I'm sitting here trying to figure things out. We still got to close deals. Your salespeople have problems. Your manager is asking you for a forecast. You know, I think that the third thing that your manager asks, says after he congratulates you on the job, says, what have you done for me lately? And by the way, your forecast is due at two o'clock. You know, so the rush of that everyday business. So what happens is we get caught up in just the momentum of every day and we don't take the time to to think and figure out what it is we need to do to really drive performance. So it's very pragmatic and very difficult. And that's kind of why I wrote the book is this isn't easy stuff to figure out. So how do I balance those contradictory things? So I do support my people and my manager on the everyday stuff. But at the same time, I'm figuring out how do I drive performance improvement? Let me get really tactical on that thinking part of this, because I believe selling is more difficult, more complex. There's more at risk. It's more strategic. And the art of thinking about that becomes critical for leaders and managers. Tell me about, but just pragmatically, what advice would you have to somebody about saying, here's how to carve out the time to think and what you should be doing when you do that? Well, I'm fairly prescriptive in in how I think managers need to orient their time. By that, I say you need to be spending at least 50% of your time with your people. You know, whether it's coaching them, developing them, helping them on deals, helping them resolve problems, going out on customer calls. You know, if you aren't spending a minimum of 50% of your time on, on people, you have a real problem. The next 25% of your time is really spent on kind of managing the business. And that's kind of keeping your manager happy. But that's also getting things done for your people within the organization. You know, because I want my people out there working with customers. I don't want them tied up with getting pricing approvals, legal approvals, getting support and things like that. I want to run interference as a manager to, to, to get that done. So 25% of your time is done doing that. Another 25% of your time, unfortunately, is administrivia. I mean, we have to do reporting, we have to do those kinds of things and so on. So if you kept traffic so far, we're up to 100% of your time. <laughs> and you're going to make another request, right, for more well, time. Well, you know, what I do and in the book is, is I budget 150% of your time and I say, <laughs> suck it up. I mean, this is the reality of a, any kind of leader's job is if you think this is a 40-hour work week, it isn't. So the, the thing then to do is how do I block my time as a manager? And I know, Anthony, you get up early. I start my day at 4.30 in the morning, where, whatever time zone I'm in, because I can either work the time zones and, and talk to people around the world, or I get a lot of my administrative stuff done so that during the business day, I'm working with my people. I'm out doing things. 
And then, you know, and then after six o'clock in the evening is when I do my reporting, my administration and so on and so forth. So from a management point of view, again, if you've chosen to be a manager, you got to suck it up and say, this is the time. This is how I need to block my time. And I need to be with customers and people during the business day and all that other stuff is done outside. You know, so in the evenings, you spend time thinking on the weekends. You know, I sit down on the Friday evenings and I sit down Saturday mornings typically and start thinking, am I achieving my goals? Am I achieving my company's goals? Am I doing the best for my people? And those are times to start thinking about where you want to go. So when you look at it, the sales manager's job is a tough job. It doesn't fit in a nine to five. I don't know any job of an aggressive business professional that fits nine to five any, no anymore, but, but you know, it doesn't fit nine to five. And if you aren't committed to take the, whatever time it takes, you aren't going to be successful. I want to get into uh, a couple more technical things that I think are really important concepts. And I'm, I'm doing this selfishly in part for me because I want to hear you talk about it. They're in the book, but I, I want to talk about the application of strategy to sales and not deal strategy. I want to talk about the application of the strategy of the business to sales. So can you talk about how you think about as a sales manager, your job is to really execute the strategy of the business. And I don't know that many salespeople or sales managers even understand the business's strategy and why they're doing what they're doing and how important things like pricing strategy and differentiation fit into this mix. Can you share your thoughts about what that manager's role is in actually executing the strategy. Yeah, so so the sales function in general is really to execute the business strategy in front of the customers because we're the people that deal with customers every day. You know, and so if people want to understand who our company is, what we're doing, what value we're providing, it's primarily through the salespeople that they get a peek into what the strategy is. So our job is to execute the strategy. So as a sales manager, I've got to really understand what that strategy is, make sure my people understand it. So, you know, that's through, you know, training, constant coaching and communication, but that's also through setting some of the right metrics. You know, and it was just earlier this week, I was dealing with a client and they're about a $700 million company. And the top sales executive in the business management, you know, were concerned saying, we're making our numbers, but we're not making our numbers the right way. And the problem is the salespeople in this case are measured on straight revenue. And, you know, you make your, your targets, you make your quota, and you're a hero and all that kind of thing. But you looked at it and they were saying they weren't executing the company's strategy. So, for instance, there was a major new product line and a major new division that was key to the company's future growth. But the salespeople felt uncomfortable in selling that, so they weren't selling it. And so the sales manager's job is to say, if our company is going to grow, if this major new product line is important to our growth, I got to make sure my people are selling it. So one, I got to train them to make them feel comfortable about how to sell it. And I can engage product management, marketing, and all that to help me with that. But two, I'm going to measure them on it. I give the example in the book, if you compare two salespeople, say you have a company that has two product lines. Each one of them is equally important. And you have two salespeople with a million-dollar quota. The first salesperson sells a million dollars 
of one product line. The second salesperson sells a million dollars, but it's balanced in a reasonable fashion between two product lines. Which is the higher performer? Yeah. And the answer is always the second one because that second person, salesperson, is executing the strategy with the customers. Not not on the sales ranking though. On the sales ranking, they're tied for first. You know, you, well, you, that's ex- yeah. So we're we're saying, look, revenue is important. They got it. And see, that's it. Is revenue is a critical metric, but it's not necessarily the most important metric. And you know, as as you know, in, in reading the book, it's probably the worst metric to manage performance because by the time I know I have a revenue problem, it's probably too late to fix it. So now I have to start looking at what are the leading metrics? You know, what are my pipeline metrics? What are my activity metrics, for instance, prospecting and so on that connect to the outcomes I want to produce? It's really interesting. I saw a small company that was in a growth mode and they tried to model everybody's prospecting efforts and their client acquisition efforts around what the number one guy in the company was doing. And when I took a look at, at what he was doing, he'd inherited 100% of his clients from the founder of the company and was doing very little prospecting. And they yeah. were thinking, well, his bar is the bar for everybody to succeed until you know somebody said, look, he's not even executing the strategy of the business. He's he's just literally living off of this. And it, and all these kinds of things. Re- coupons. <laughs> re- revenue looks good, though. And revenues, it's not good. It's good in context, or it's not good in context, depending on the strategy. Why do you think we spend so little time explaining, you know, salespeople get unhappy and they go to their sales manager about pricing continuously. Mm-hmm. Our competitor has the lowest price. Our competitor has a lower price. It would be great if we had a lower price, or I want to match this. When we have a differentiated model, that means we have to capture more value to deliver and execute better. Why do we struggle with that, explaining the strategy to them that you can't have that business because you destroy our business model and our differentiation when you do these things? At the root level, I think it's a leadership issue. I think it's a leadership issue starting from the top down. And it's not a malicious thing. It's more by omission than anything else is we kind of assume that people know. And that's the worst thing you possibly can do. You assume that people know what the priorities of the company are. We assume that they know they should be driving balanced performance, selling the entire product line or or creating value in a certain way. And here's what good business looks like. And here's what bad business looks like. But we aren't explicit about it. And and part of it is we get so caught up in the day-to-day management of the business, the day-to-day execution and deal-making that we lose sight of it. You know, and that's how you know it, the pricing issue is is a great issue is that, you know, I see what I call erosion happening over time. You know, we do it on this deal and then because of very good, valid business reasons. And then a few months later, a few more deals come up and we lower the bar a little bit and we lower the bar and we lower the bar. And then pretty soon you find out, you know, 100 percent of the business you're booking is deeply discounted and you've gotten away from selling the value. Yeah. You know, so it requires this attentiveness and focus from the very top all the way down. And part of the way you do that is great metrics. And when you do that, when you lower the bar, you've changed the business strategy. You've absolutely. And see, that's, do you want your salespeople setting your business strategy? Yeah. Salespeople are great at executing the business strategy in front of the customers, but they're not the people whose job it is 
in who I want to be setting the business strategy. Yeah. The bar gets lowered. I mean, it's easier, especially a high visibility, high value, dream client, big revenue. And you go, if we did this, we can have the deal. And everybody starts to say, let me see if I can help you rationalize that, including the leader. You know, by the way, yep. who's also in on yep. that. And, and again, I think part of it is just the pressure of everyday business. I think it's it's more omission than anything yeah. else. And so that's why I hate to use this word because it's so fashionable these days. But we have to be mindful, mindful in the sense of what is it that we're trying to achieve? And are these things that we're doing helping us achieve those things, both in the short term and the long term? M- mindfulness is a really good word. I mean, I, I like the word for a whole bunch of personal reasons, but the book is sort of a mindfulness book. Take yeah, time. Yeah. Spend some time here. Spend some time doing this and be thoughtful. I want to get into a couple other sort of more strategic and yet tactical things. And I think for for sales managers, we do a lot of managing and we don't do a lot of coaching. And we're not very non-directive. We're, we're mostly directive because of the constraints of time mm-hmm. and, the, and the pressure. We just act. Tell me the difference between management and coaching and how should a sales manager think about when is the right choice to select one or the other of these? Well, we do a lot of managing. We don't do a lot of leading. And leading really is about developing the capabilities of the organization in developing the capabilities of the people. Whether you're a senior sales executive, you want to look at developing the capabilities of the organization. If you're a frontline sales manager, you want to look at developing the capabilities of your team and each person on the team. So so we really need to transition into the mode of leading, which is always focused on how do I get my people to perform at the highest level. The only way I achieve my objectives as a sales frontline sales leader is maximizing their performance in in getting things done through them. So you start with that premise. And then now you start saying, how do I maximize their performance? And a key part of that, probably the number one highest leverage model is coaching them. The problem we have with coaching is several problems. And we actually did, in our company, did a survey of about 700 or so sales managers a number of years ago. One of the surprising, it was kind of a throwaway question at the end, but we asked them, how much time or how frequently do you coach your people? And over 40% of the answers said once a quarter or less. And so one is, is sales managers don't know that coaching is part of their job. We need to tell them. Number two is we need to teach them how to coach. Number three is you need to say, how do I embed it in everything I do? One of the things that we learned in that survey was people thought coaching was different. So they thought I schedule a coaching session. You know, so if you look at the day-to-day stuff, I'm doing deal reviews, call reviews, I'm doing administrative and reporting, I'm doing one-on-ones, I'm doing pipeline reviews, and then I schedule the coaching session. What's going to be canceled? It's the coaching session. So what we do is, is we start embedding that and say, every opportunity you have, you should coach. You know, when you're standing in Starbucks line with your salesperson, you're talking about something and you're talking about you have an opportunity to coach. Gee, you know, in that meeting with the customer, you did a really good job. How do we do this with every other deal? 
you know, when I'm sitting down doing a deal review, I have a business management function, which is to say, are we doing the things we need to do to close the deal and get the business? But at the same time, I have the opportunity to say, how do we strengthen the deal strategy? And how do I take that? If we do that on that deal, the person takes those lessons and starts applying this on every every single deal. So we need to think of this thing called coaching as not something that's separate, but think something that's embedded in everything we do every day. So it's it's a matter then of intention. It's my intention in that interaction. So I'm having my meeting with Dave, and instead of saying, Dave, give me your pipeline numbers, blah, 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 I'm asking you questions with the intention of how do I do this in a way that you can take what we do here and start applying it again and again in the future. And it really comes down to what's my intention. Do I approach this from I'm his manager or do I approach this from I'm trying to grow and develop this individual into somebody who's got a greater capacity to perform in every future interaction? Yeah, I think I, I think that's really a nice way of doing it. I tend to be very simplistic is, mm-hmm. you know, I got to do both. How do I kill two birds with one stone? <laughs> and how do I, you know, how You're the guy I, who likes lazy salespeople, though. I'm the guy that likes lazy salespeople <laughs> because if they're a lazy salesperson and they're making their numbers, they've discovered something magic. <laughs> Worth noting. So, yeah. You know, so what you do is you try and say, how do I kill two birds with one stone? How do I develop? How do I make sure the person's doing the right things, whether it's a sales call, a deal strategy, prospecting, or so on, and, and that we're going to get the business? And how do I develop that person? Because the leverage of that, if you think of, if you aren't coaching the person and you think of, how do I know my business is in control? Then what you have to do is you have to inspect everything. You have to touch every single deal. You have to touch every single prospecting program. You have to touch those things. And pretty quickly, the math runs against you. You run out of time. So now what you do is if you're coaching people to be much better at that deal and they're learning how to be much better in executing deal strategies or how to be much better in executing a sales call, they're not just doing it in that deal or that sales call. They're doing the same thing in every other deal that they're doing. So there's a huge magnifying effect that you have just in coaching one deal or just in coaching one sales call. Let me get into what I think is probably one of the most difficult challenges for a sales manager, new or experienced, forecasting. Why is forecasting so difficult for us to do? And what should a sales manager do to understand how to forecast better and better serve? You know, there are, there are companies that I know of that the decision to spend enormous amounts of money depend on forecast accuracy. So mm-hmm. we, we can't execute the strategy of the business unless we know that this is what the pipeline looks like and that these deals are actually going to come true. What do you do to improve that? Well, I, I think there are a couple of things. I, I think there's only there's a certain limitations to how you can improve that because sometimes your company keeps changing the rules on you and you can't it's impossible to develop an accurate forecast. I think it's amazing to me the number of sales managers and usually frontline sales managers that don't understand why we forecast. 
you know, and as you point out, you know, it's not just your manager harassing you and trying to, to make your life miserable. The forecast has a real business purpose because, you know, what parts do I purchase? How do I schedule manufacturing time? If I'm in professional services, how do I make sure I have the delivery resources available for doing that? So the, from a business point of view, the forecast and an accurate forecast is really critical to the operation of the business. And surprisingly, most managers don't understand that. You know, they they think it's just something that I've always been asked. There's always arguments around it. So that's number one. Number two, then, is how do I start developing an accurate forecast? And this is something you and I have talked about a lot is, you know, without a strong sales process that your people are using, it's impossible to develop an accurate forecast. The first thing of all this, whether you're going to win deals, whether you're going to have a high integrity pipeline, whether you're going to have any chance at an accurate forecast, is you have to have the right sales process that people are executing rigorously. And then finally, it's not looking at the pipeline per se, particularly if you're in very complex sales processes, you know, you sit down with the salesperson on a deal by deal basis and say, are we ready to forecast this? Are we ready to commit this to the business? And we have to have criteria around what that means, you know, and it has to be one time-based criteria. Is, is this business coming in plus or minus X days? Is this business coming in at this value? And is this business coming in with this mix? I saw a few years ago, I was involved with a company where the sales management thought they were doing a great forecast. They were hitting the dollar number for their forecast, but the mix was changing. So if you looked at the ripple effect back into manufacturing and procurement and so on and so forth, you know, what they thought was being forecast versus what actually came in and was being built was tremendously different. And that's bad forecasting. You know, it's interesting how much the sales management conversation that we've had today has been about strategy and about executing the strategy of the business. And you really are the sharp end of the spear when it comes to the execution of strategy, because either you help your people do these things or the business doesn't achieve its goals in business mix and growth and all these criteria. That's exactly it. And and again, I think a lot of it is In fairness to salespeople and sales managers, frontline sales managers, they don't know. You know, it's it's the responsibility of top management to help them know and help them connect the dots into what is it that we do that impacts our business on a day-to-day business point of view and from a strategic point of view. I want to talk about the book for for just a minute. I'm not all Mm -hmm. the way through the book, but if you're listening to this, The book is extraordinarily tactical, so it answers the questions that you have in each one of these areas. So if you're a sales manager, this is an answer book more than anything else. So if you, how do I do a deal review? How do I coach? How do I hire? How do I deal with deep players on performance reviews? The reason this book, I think, is so long is because your long experience and your depth in this area has allowed you the ability to write a very complete answer book for a sales manager. I know you. I'm going to blow up your ego even more, which I am not happy to do, but I have to. I mean, th- th- this is the book that is the best book in its class. There's not another sales management guide that says complete, and I've read everything. There's nothing this complete with this many answers in it. So if you're a sales manager, 
do pick up the book. There's no question it's going to serve you. And the interesting thing I'll say, I started with a 30, 60, 90, because I think there are people who get into this role not knowing what it is. But I took it into another area. And I want to point out, I think, having read as much of the book as I have, if you're not where you need to be, this book is a reset for you. It's the ability to go back and go, okay, so wait a second. Now I need to go back. And if I had to start over and I need to improve, go back to the beginning of the book and start going through this and saying, okay, so now I can still go see 30 customers. I can still go do that. And I may have a difficult challenge because I'm in the mix of the game, which you are anyway, but you can go back and set the reset button. And this book would be a terrific guide if you're an existing manager to say, what do I have wrong and how do I fix this? And you're going to find a lot of things in the book you're doing right, but there's a lot of things in here that you're going to have a deeper insight and it's going to give you some new capabilities. I really appreciate you saying that, Anthony, because that was one of the struggles I had in writing the book is, is it starts out with a new manager coming in. And, you know, but this book is as much for seasoned managers and even seasoned sales executives to say, I can always improve. I can always learn. And sometimes it's going back to basics. You know, in reminding myself around what best practice is, what the basics are, and how I execute better off this strong foundation of coaching, communicating expectations, setting expectations, and so on and so forth. And, so I really appreciate that. Thank and you. listen, if you didn't have this as a model, there's a lot of things in this book you've never seen because you got into this because you did a good job. You develop relationships. People thought you looked like somebody who could lead, but you didn't have this model as your manager. So there's a lot in here that you don't know only because you didn't see it from your manager. Yeah, it's somebody was interviewing me a, a few weeks ago, and I jokingly said, when I was in sixth grade, my buddies and I, our favorite book was The Thousand Questions You Always Wanted to Ask About Sex. It never could, you know, and it's we had it carefully wrapped in plastic and hidden underneath a wood pile outside of my best friend's house. And we, you know, go back into the woods and read the book and, and, and all. But in some sense, it's a little bit like that because you know, we're anointed sales managers. They say congratulations, but nobody really tells us about the job and nobody tells us the day-to-day stuff that we have to face. And, you know, so I wrote it to kind of not just give the answers, but help you think about what you want to do. I didn't expect you to establish your expertise in that other area either, but you read the Well, book. I still <laughs> am trying to establish that expertise. <laughs> uh, the reading is a good lead, and I have some questions here that are sort of the lightning round inside mm-hmm. the Actors Studio James Lipton questions for you. What book are you reading right now? I'm actually reading, it's a fiction book by my editor, Keith Farrell. Keith used to be the editor of Omni Magazine and has written a lot of science fiction stuff. And I realized he's been working with me for months and doing this thing, and I'd never read one of his books. So I wanted to surprise him. It's a kind of mystery thriller and set in the Deep South. Interesting. What's the most important book you've ever read and why? I'll tell you, the most important book I've read recently, and I'm ashamed that I didn't discover it about six or seven years ago when it came out, is Mindset by Carol Dwyer. Yeah. And it is life-changing. You get to really reflect on the theme of, you know, do we have a fixed mindset or do we have a growth-oriented mindset? And how we approach life, how we approach business is very, very different 
based on that. And interestingly, is we can have in certain areas fixed mindsets and other areas growth mindsets. I was coaching a sales manager and I gave him the book. I said, read it and let's talk about it. Well, he made a mistake. He read it and then he sat down with his team and started saying, what's it take for us to establish growth mindsets? And he started doing some things and it transformed the team. And he called me and he said, in three weeks, we've changed the results of prospecting phenomenally. And so right now, the most important book I've ever read is, is, is Mindset by Carol Dwyer. It's interesting to me. It's a terrific book. It's not even a long book. It's a powerful book. But it's interesting to me how people can get infected with a fixed mindset and to believe. I had a salesperson say to me, I lost these deals, but I wasn't outsold. Right. And I explained as carefully as I could, not as carefully as I would have liked to, when you don't believe that there was anything you could have done different, you lost because you have this mindset that says there's nothing I could do different. And and you get fixed into these patterns that don't serve you over time. And I don't know that people even recognize that we get infected with those, thinking that, that there's nothing well, we, else there. Well, we do, and it creates actually a death spiral for us in terms of performance. And, you know, the person, you know, people with growth mindsets lose business too, but what they do is they learn from that. Yeah. You know, and yeah. they say, what do I do differently the next time? And as a leader and as a salesperson, that's the most important thing is what do we learn from each thing that we are involved in and how do we get better? I was going to ask you who's had the biggest influence on your thinking, and I know it's me because I keep bringing you all of my problems for you to solve, and I force <laughs> you into an area when I have a challenge. Who has had the biggest influence on your thinking? No single person. I, I think, you know, and again, this sounds hokey, and it's in the dedication, is, is, is my parents. I mean, my parents kind of set me up with this, Dave, you can achieve whatever you want. My dad was... I used to think of him as a wicked sadist, but he was really helping me. When I was a kid, you know, he'd give me puzzles, you know, and at first I'd do the puzzle and I'd look at the picture and I'd say, how do I fit all the things together so they made the right picture? Then after I mastered that, he'd turn the puzzle upside down and say, do it without the picture. So I'd do it, you know, with the cardboard backs. How do you put the puzzle together? And what he was doing was trying to help me figure things out and so on and so forth. You know, at the time he was a sadist. But, but, you know, you think about that. So, you know, my parents kind of giving me the opportunity to one treasure learning and improvement to say that the constraints I have in my own development are my own in my own mind and I can overcome those. The second thing is, is part of the book is probably the, the best frontline sales manager I've ever met is my wife, Cookie. And in the last chapter of the book, I talk a little bit about our legacy as sales managers, you know, and we keep thinking it's the promotion, it's the awards, you know, the recognition that we get. Cookie left her last sales management job about 20 years ago to become a professional chef, which had always been a dream. To this day, we get at least once a month a call from somebody that worked for her that says, Cookie, I have a really tough deal. I have a really tough situation. Can we talk through it? You know, and if you think about it, if your people trust you so much and value your ability to coach and help you think through something that 20 years after you've left them, they're still calling you, that's the kind of legacy we want to create as individuals and as salespeople. We're going to get there to legacy in a minute. Tell me, what's the most important lesson you've learned in life up to now? Don't take no for an answer. <laughs> that works um, pretty well. 
Yeah, that was a painful lesson. I actually, one of my very first managers when I sold at IBM said, Dave, the problem with you is you take no for an answer. That sent me back. You know, I had to think about that for a long time. How, how old were you when that occurred? 21, 22. Interesting. And I've been, been selling, it's probably actually 23. I've probably been selling for about two years. And I was making my numbers, you know, and so that was deceptive. I was making my numbers, going to the 100% club, you know, all those kinds of things. But she sat down with me actually in a performance review and she says, Dave, the problem with you is you could do so much better, but you take no for an answer. And whether it was no from the customer or no from the business or whatever it was, I let things deflect me from what I wanted to achieve. If you weren't writing and consulting, what would you be doing? You know, I'd be doing this. I am blessed by getting up every morning and doing my hobby. I work with the smartest people in the world. The things that we face as sales professionals, as sales executives, in sales and business leaders are not trivial problems. But, you know, it's kind of like my father teaching me how to solve puzzles upside down. You know, today I work with executives and even salespeople who face very difficult challenges. They're trying to solve this puzzle and oftentimes a piece is missing. You know, so this, I get to do my hobby every day and people pay me to do it. How can you be luckier? You can't. Let's talk about two things here. So this is the last question, but I'm going to make it two questions for you. What do you hope to be remembered for, number one? And then tell me about Charity Water. My blog, for those people that read it, has kind of a title, Making a Difference. You know, and what, what's really driven me is I, I hope to make a difference in people's lives. You know, whether it's people reading this book, and maybe they don't agree with the stuff in the book, but it's caused them to think about what they're doing and how they improve, then I've, I've made a difference and an impact in them. You know, so I don't want people to buy the stuff in the book, hook, line, and sinker, and go out and do it because Dave says you do it. I want them to think about what they're doing and improve themselves. You know, so I want to make a difference. You know, we, we go into engagements because we want to make a difference in our clients' lives, whether it's their organizations or them as individuals. So really, it's, it's having an impact. So I wrote this book partly to achieve that goal for myself as sales managers, we started it, it's the toughest job in the world. You know, and I see so many people who are struggling and want to do the right job, but they don't have any resources. So I hope this starts making a difference for them. Talk about Charity Water, because the book has a relationship with Charity Water, and I don't want to go past that point here. Yeah, Charity Water is a fascinating organization. It's charitywater.org. And I've been, over the last few years, I've raised, I think, over $30,000 for them. Probably one, if you look at one of the number one problems to progress in, in the world and progress in society right now is the availability of clean, potable water. I think the statistics are in underdeveloped countries. One in five children, I may have the statistic wrong, but it's amazingly high. One in five children dies before the age of five based on waterborne diseases. So having clean, potable water. If you look at economic and educational development is last year, I think the number is is in Africa, women spent four billion hours collecting water. Yeah. So if you translate that into 
2 billion hours going to school, 2 billion hours earning money, you know, working at a job or starting a business. You know, so this has such a tre- water has such a tremendous impact on our global society. The interesting thing why I'm so behind charity water is 100% of what we donate goes to building wells and providing clean water. It doesn't go to any marketing program, you know, any nice recognition and things like that. It goes to producing results. So, you know, part of this is making a difference in doing good is, is, you know, I want people to get smart by reading the book, but I want to give them the opportunity to do good. So 25% of the profits from the book are going to go to charity water. That's awesome. Thank you for doing that. Oh, thank you. But it's, it's, you know, you do that. You and I have had lots of conversations about this over the years. Each one of us has our passion about how we want to contribute and how we want to have it make an impact. Mine happens to be Charity Water. And I know you have some real passions that are real important as well. Homeless, homelessness. That's the one for me. But thank you so much for being here and congratulations on the new book. It's, it's a wonderful guide and uh, it's terrific work. Well, it's so flattering for you to ask me to be part of this. You know, we've had a long and and great relationship and to be part of this interview and and for you to be so flattering in your comments about the book, it's, it's really rewarding. Thank you. You were listening to my good friend, Dave Brock from Partners in Excellence, and you can find him at Partners in Excellence blog. Dot com. You'll find that in the show notes. You will find his new book, Sales Manager Survival Guide, at salesmanagersurvivalguide.com. You can buy it on Amazon. By the time you're listening to this, it will be available for you. I am Anthony Anarino, and you can find me at thesalesblog.com. You can also find me at youtube.com forward slash Anarino. When you go there, hit the subscribe button. And if you want my best work every week delivered directly to your inbox, go out and join me at thesalesblog.com forward slash newsletter and sign up for my Sunday newsletter. Hey, and while you're out there running around the internet, Go out to uh, iTunes and give me a review. Let me know what you think about the podcast and uh, let me know what you think about the guests. I'd love to get your feedback. You can email me directly through the contact page on the blog. And until next time, I will see you in the arena. There's never been a better time to be a salesperson or a success-minded individual in human history. We now have in our hands more tools, more technology, and more insight available to us than ever before. I'm proud to announce our new sponsor for this episode of In the Arena, Jeffrey Gittimer and Gittimer Gold Webinars, The Year of the Sale. And what is The Year of the Sale and Gittimer Gold Webinars? Here's what you're going to get. You're going to get 12 webinars. You're going to get a full year of personal and professional development for sales professionals and, I would argue, success-minded individuals. It begins with Webinar 1, The New Sale. And I'm only going to touch on this one because it's so important. It's Gittimer giving you his very best ideas on what's now, what's new, what's next, how are sales being made, and how are we going to make sales over the next decade. And this is just the greatest building block, cornerstone content for what follows. And with that, you're going to get content on following up. You're going to get content on cold calling. You're going to get content on social selling, relationships, 
managing millennials, you're going to get content on how to be a trusted advisor. We use those words, but nobody tells you what you're supposed to do to be that trusted advisor. You're also going to get some ideas about differentiation that come from Gittimer, who is somebody who's very, very creative in this space and has differentiated himself amazingly in this market. I would argue perhaps the best in the market when it comes to differentiating and brand building. You're also going to get a bonus webinar called Dominate 2016. And this is not just sales content. This is who do you need to be and what do you need to do if you're really going to win in this year. And this is content that will help you succeed every year. So you go to jeffreygittimer.com forward slash gold. You'll also find this in the show notes. And you pay monthly or you pay annually. If you pay monthly, it's 79 bucks a month for 12 webinars. You're making a 12-month commitment. And if you pay for the whole year at once, it's $500. You're going to save some money there. You're going to get exclusive access to a Facebook group. And you are going to develop yourself personally and professionally. But wait, there is more. If you use the word Anthony as the code when you sign up, you're going to get a massive discount on either one of these programs. So go out and visit my friend Jeffrey Gittimer at jeffreygittimer.com forward slash gold. Check out the webinars. Do invest in your personal and professional development. It's so important. You are the only asset that you have. You're the only resource that you have. And the bigger and stronger that resource and asset is for you, the more success you're going to have. Go check it out. Gittimer Gold, jeffreygittimer.com forward slash gold. When you get there, tell Git that Anthony sent you. I am Anthony Anarino, and you can find me at thesalesblog.com. When you go there, you're going to be assaulted by a pop-up banner when you try to click on something or when you try to leave, and that's so that I can get your first name and your email address. I'm going to send you every Sunday morning content that you can use in your sales game or your business game or your success game. That's long form, actionable, something that you're going to be able to look at Monday morning and say, I've got ideas and I can get to work improving myself and my results. Also, go visit me at youtube.com forward slash Anarino. Do subscribe there where I'll send you video content, me talking into the camera, sharing ideas with you or interviewing other people. Thanks so much for being here. I'll see you next time right here in the arena.